gallery of photos on Instagram for the Garden of Freedom. Technically, we have the, the garden. See, look, it's it's on my mug. Look, it's, it's right there. It says thegardenoffreedom.com. And uh, there's the gallery. See these hot shit on the graphics. There's just so much cool stuff going on out here and so many opportunities. If someone wants to get involved, please send me an email, adam at thefreedomline.com. So for, for the Garden of Freedom, um, and yes, this is the Gardenia Sovereignty Project as well, to declare our sovereignty as a micronation on July 4th of next year. And if you want, check out the video I did Independence Day this year for a sort of overview of those plans. Uh, so it was like this guy came out to be involved uh, with, I won't say what, but to be involved with something specific in, in here in Gardenia, the homestead, that had nothing to do with politics. And I had to be like, so do you know what a libertarian is? What's your definition of a libertarian? And the rest of us, there, there were uh, five of us who gathered for dinner Saturday night. It was a real fun little dinner party. Of course, Jim was here. The Yaples were here. My friend Chance from Chance the Viking from Flagstaff was here. And then the new guy. And we had to have a bunch of conversations to knock some business out of the way before we got to him. And he kept interrupting with little something like, hold on, dude. You don't even know who you're talking to right now. By the way, CJ is pulling up the video of Mama Jade, our cat, catching and eating a scorpion alive. She had a litter of six healthy kittens, and boy, are they getting adventurous now. I'm worried I'm going to step on one of them by accident at night. But yep, there she goes. There she goes, scorpion caught and eaten alive. So I don't know. I might. I, I guess we're going to let her keep having litters uh there's a we're we're gonna we're gonna fix all the kittens uh unless someone pays us not to and wants to adopt a cat that's not fixed um you'll give me a good reason for that but i think uh so pop a cat who just yeah thank you cj's got his dress (laughs) i don't know where well i said scorpion cat and apparently, for those of you who are fans from your childhood of Mortal Kombat, the video game, like CJ and myself, <laughs> you remember the Scorpion character. And yes, because I used the words Scorpion Cat, CJ had to put up a picture of a cat dressed as the Scorpion character from Mortal Kombat. Yeah, very clever. Thank you, CJ. Uh, we, we all got an awkward chuckle out of that. Uh, so I, I mean, I don't, I, it, it was never my plan coming out here to like, to, to be a cat breeder, but if there, you know, and, and I hate to say, uh, support cat breeders because there's so many stray cats. There's so many cats in shelters. There's a reason they have to call some of them no kill shelters. You've heard this term, right? Described, uh, describing animal shelters. Oh, we're a no kill shelter. That's because the majority of them are kill shelters. Not the majority, at least a lot of them. You bring in a cat, it's unhealthy or unwanted. Yeah, so if you can adopt animals uh, that are fixed and and, and let them live out their lives in a a happy way, it's a beautiful thing to do for an animal. Uh, But in our case, we have uh, possibly a really cool opportunity 
<laughs> to breed scorpion cats. And when you, when you, I don't, I looked on the internet, by the way, here's, here's the challenge for today's show. All right. Mercedes from Nebraska is watching the comments. We're going to bring her on here in just a few minutes. So be nice. No, but make, give, give her lots of juicy comments that she can pull up on screen here. She can just pop them up. She's got, she's got the technology that Jim has to be able, all right, here we go. I'm a status. Good morning, fellow status. Hello. Cheers. Wait, no, why am I saying good morning? It wasn't for me. Captain Case, hey, hey, all right, good. Thank you for the feedback and checking in on our audience there, Mercedes. That's beautiful. Um, I was saying something else about oh, now his comments is straight. Mercedes on comments today. Take it easy on her, you fuckers. Unless you're Gus Curiopolis in which you can go tell her to blow your blow her mom because she knows you're joking. Uh, so if, uh, if apparently if people want, Craig, a good day, freedom family. Okay, all right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Was that good? Morning. Was that good? That's great. Oh, great, great test. Yeah, it's all working. Uh, Daniel. StreamYard is what we're using. Yeah, yeah. And I haven't gotten into the back end except once to look at it. Um, but from every, because, you know, I made a commitment with this show that I'm going to be on the air two hours a day, five days a week, and I'm going to be prepared and I'm going to be able to manage the operation. And people keep asking me, good morning. All right, hello, 5L, XYZ. Um, a lot of uh, people, you know, and when you're doing an independent media production like this, people throw all sorts of stuff at you. Are you on BitChute? Are you on Parlor? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? And you know what? Talk to the CJ because the hosts don't want to hear it. Yeah, talk to, talk to CJ Abernathy, our intrepid host from South Dakota. Does an amazing job. Super grateful to have him back this week, especially as the Freedom Factory should be here. We should bring him up. CJ, Super Easter Notes with, all right. Whoa, whoa, so, whoa, Mercedes. We gave you the steering wheel today. There you go. We, see, look, I didn't even have my hands on the controls. So Mercedes has the power today, Adam. Uh, you are the executive power. intrepid producer from Meth Dakota. Thank you. Very much. Uh, yeah, no, uh, I'll take this opportunity since you put me on screen to let everybody know to go to cigarfederation.com and use the promo code Adam10. If you uh, haven't figured it out yet, that's promo code Adam10 at Cigar Federation. And you know what? I'm going to tell you by the end of this show today, I'm going to go to this website, type in Nugs. And I'm going to get these JSK nugs because it is legal for CBD in, in Meth Dakota now. So the the governor here uh, can't really do much about it. So uh, did you know we can buy CBD flour in Aberdeen just 70 miles away? I can. It looks just like cannabis. It tastes just like cannabis. It's sold in a store. And, uh, I, I, yeah, no, I, I, I'm thinking I'm going to get some JSK nugs and, and enjoy a, a Cigars and Sunsets with you on a Friday. And I recommend everybody else uh, get your CBD on. Hell, yeah. You know, CJ, CJ I wasn't expecting it. Uh, but when we did Cigars and Sunsets last Friday, there were a few questions about my military experience and my experience with torture. Oh. And I actually spent like the middle half of that hour that I, that I spent with y'all Friday evening telling the torture story. Somebody somebody asked, "What?" Would, now, just to be clear, 
I wasn't at Abu Ghraib, you know, electroshocking people. I, I, I did. I, I can comfortably say about the state of my own psychology that I didn't do anything sadistic on my own initiative, right? And I know that's a that's a small comfort, but I was ordered to guard detainees for a four-hour shift where they had their hands sand, uh, zip-tied behind their backs and sandbags over their heads and were forced to sit cross-legged on a cement floor for an extended period without being allowed to move, including getting up to go to the bathroom. So by the time I like got there... not to say what that's called, Adam. What's that? It's almost like you're trying not to say what that's called. No, it's torture. It's absolutely torture. It's absolutely a violation of the Geneva Conventions. I was a part of it, and I was a party to a war crime, not just in being there and supporting the general effort, but in that one incident itself. No, but when I say, CJ, I couch it to say, you know, when people, so my story is not, hey, I'm a sadistic, I was, I was born, raised a sadistic fuck who joined the military because I'm a sadistic fuck, experienced the worst of it and reformed. Like, that would be a, a more powerful, if less realistic, story. But in my case, it's that I joined with the best of intentions. I joined and volunteered, even, to go to Iraq in civil affairs in order to help people. And to me, my experience is more a story of how the military and government and statism, how bad ideas can and institutions of violence and evil can lead well-intentioned people to commit evil acts. And that was my case. That's my story. But, no, I did. I guarded them. I continued their sleep deprivation torture for four hours, uh, prodded them gently. You know, I mean, I didn't, like, assault. I, I didn't, you know, cause injury, but, like, poke them, uh, make sure they were still awake. And I used the Arabic uh, that, that I learned to... Taunt them. Yes, thank you, CJ. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. So in, in that sense, my story is one of being motivated by good intentions and going down the wrong road of militarism to hell. And then finally realize, realizing it just in time, perhaps, and being able to turn around. Let me break this down for the stupid out there. If there's a Star Wars character that you would be, it'd be Finn. Yeah. You'd be sitting here going, man, oh, yeah. I was a stormtrooper, and now I oh, want to yeah. be on the good side. And you're like, you know, one thing, Adam, about libertarianism and the party itself as a whole and the mentality that a lot of big L, big I, big B, you get the point, libertarians, uh, you know, those there's a certain sect in this that it almost becomes cynical about military service. And especially as a veteran, you become cynical of your own service because you realize the hypocrisy. I, it, it, it kills the shit out of me for my intentions to be, well, I wanted to serve and protect my country, to then hear, well, really, I was just serving and protecting corporations and the murder, mayhem, destruction. And it makes you go, it breaks, it almost breaks your psyche because you have to come to terms with it in a way that, a statist soldier or sailor, airman or marine who maintains that, you know, patriotism equals support of government, nationalist mentality. If you continue to stay plugged into that matrix, you almost don't have to confront that evil underneath the surface and you can live in that dog and pony show, for, you know, uh, that it is. It's, it, it's the toughest 
thing is to have to come to terms with portions of your service that didn't line up. I don't know about you, but I cleaned a lot of fucking toilets. You know, I did a lot of stupid fucking details. I did a lot of grunt work, a lot of just dumb meat sack, move A to B, please. Well, not really even saying please. I was voluntold. You know, uh, I would like to think my service in the grand scheme of things isn't based off of my four years spent in a, uh, you know, war racketeering criminal enterprise. I would like to think that the the character of my service will be based upon the oath I took over the longevity of my lifetime, even if uh, I'm not active duty. If I'm a veteran to it that speaks out against it, like you did with the veterans, uh, you know, against the Iraq war there, you you uh, you were doing that while I was in Iraq. Think about that. I mean, so you're sitting there out there on the streets preaching about how I shouldn't be there. And I'm you're sitting there. I was I one like here. CJ, similarly, I was a cycle behind on that. Not, like, not I got to, accused not of, or anything. You know, I got I got accused of being a founder of Iraq Veterans Against the War, but it had been founded before I left for Iraq. No, in the, in the Marine Corps, we've got a term for this. Are you a plank owner? Uh, like I was a part of Mobility Assault Company when that battalion, or when that company raised up in our battalion for Mobility Assault Company. I was part of First Platoon Mobility Assault Company. They said we were all plank owners. Uh, so it's not like there's a founding member of it's a, everybody is a plank owner uh, of that uh, of that platoon and has that that right in history to say I was part of the first platoon for Mobility Assault Company or whatever. So you were really a plank owner of a of a cause that that again you've tattooed on your body. So I mean again I I I could say I'm a veteran and I'm against the Iraq War, but I wasn't doing what you were doing. You know, and so I think as we come to terms with our service, we have to come to terms with the status propaganda around what it means to serve. Not because well, yeah. just yeah. that, but you get, we need to, we have to shift the thinking to victim status even because you guys are victims of the United States government. Yeah, Some people do, but for other people, especially military members, being in victim status is very, very detrimental to your mental health. And once well, you yeah, realize I, that you've been taken advantage of, then that's yeah. when we get to the problems. Yeah, we got into this on Friday with Cigars and Sunsets a little bit too because when I was in Iraq Veterans Against the War, the mantra, or the talking point, was blame the policymakers, not the troops, right? And there's 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 a if two people are committing a crime together, and one of them lied to the other one to get them to commit that crime, then that person being lied to has zero culpability, right? Oh, what about that old George Bush quote? Fool me once. If you are being frauded or lied into committing a crime, then the person doing the lying and tricking you to do it bears that responsibility. Like if I say, hey, CJ, that guy stole my wallet. Go tackle him and get my wallet back. And you tackle him, and it turns out he didn't steal my wallet, and, and you fucked him up. You're not responsible for fucking him up. I am. Because I, I disagree with you on that one. Does fraud eliminate responsibility? Because now, hold on, hold on. Yeah, hold on. I'm, give me a second because I'm presenting the simplified black and white 
libertarian 101 version of this concept, right? There's, there's a slightly, there's, there's a more important element to this when it comes to analyzing the situation of the troops. And of, I, I have always liked to take as much personal responsibility as I can. I, and I, it's funny, I was having this conversation at our campfire Saturday night. I'm sorry, we don't have campfires. It was a virtual campfire because there's a fire ban in, in Yavapai County until we succeed. We're still part of Yavapai County. But uh, sit, sitting around the campfire, I, I had a friend who was a little bit overweight. And I pointed it out to him because we were talking about uh, self-awareness and self-acceptance. And I said, I would like to take pride in the fact that I am in at least the top percentile, if not some freakish outlier, when it comes to self-awareness and self-acceptance. And I don't mean to say that I'm some guru who knows myself better than anybody else, but in practical terms, you could walk up to me and point out all my flaws and I'm going to know about them and be comfortable with them. And I'm probably just uh, going to be mildly annoyed at the timing of you doing this rather than triggered, as most people are, with their egos and their self-consciousness. And so, you know, I said, you know, you're a little overweight. What does that say about you? Because this, is, he's a fr- this guy is a friend of mine. Hold up. I'm a little overweight, Adam. So what are you trying to say? I actually you're not, you're not, I thought you were talking about CJ, Adam. Yeah, you guys right. aren't friendly enough for me to point it out in person. It came up in a big conversation. Not over the internet. <laughs> no, so I was I was praising my friend. I was praising my friend for being a generally high self awareness, self acceptance guy, and 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 these are two different ideas, but they're very related in practical application because. If you're not a first of all, if you're self awareness is kind of a precondition for self acceptance, right? I mean, you can say I accept myself as I am, even the things I don't know about myself. But that's not really what we're talking about. About really understanding your history and your flaws and your hangups and personality disorders and things like that, and being able to say, well, no, it's, it's just who I am, and I was born this way, and this, I, I'm not gonna make things worse by stressing out about it. So I was able to tell my friend just in his game, like, I could point out that, you know, you're about 40 pounds overweight. And I know that if I did that to the average, if I walked up to the average overweight American on the street, this is taboo. This is, this is like the last big taboo in society of constructive criticism that people might be embarrassed about, right? You know, it's, it's, it's just not acceptable in a lot of ways to be critical of other people in pointing out things that it would help them to be able to discuss. And with the, uh, so, so back to the bigger question of responsibility and culpability, because this is actually, I think a very important libertarian, a question of libertarian ethics, right? To, to apply this to the troops. I mean, if, if you're armed, right? And, and you're holding a gun and someone says, you have to shoot that guy right now to save everybody's lives. Right, and they convince you of that, and you do in an emergency situation a reasonable due diligence. You look around, you look at the guy, positive target ID, and you shoot him. But it turns out that the person telling you to shoot him deliberately fooled you to get you to kill him. In in that case, I, I would say, yeah, zero ethical responsibility. 
The challenge in reality is that very few crimes of mutual culpability are so clear-cut, as with the military and the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. So I can say that I was lied to as a child over and over and over again about militarism, deliberately misled if not even specifically lied to, although there were plenty of specific lies in there too, but overall it was more being deliberately misled in order to create a pro-military attitude for me. So there's that. Then there were the war's lies themselves, weapons of mass destruction, Saddam Hussein, all the Muzis want to kill you and they hate you for your freedom, you know, that kind of thing. If we don't attack them there, We'll have to defend against them here. You guys remember that one, right? And so when I volunteered to join the military, to join the Marines, and I volunteered to go to Iraq, I do not believe that I was primarily responsible for the war crime of the wars itself uh, or for the specific war crimes that I committed that were not of my own volition. And so here's the difference, right? If everything that I did in Iraq, I can say my responsibility, my share of the culpability comes from not doing my due diligence. And, and, and I would say today that joining the military in the year 2020 is irresponsibly naive. Because when you do your research and you recognize that you're signing up, to murder innocent people on behalf of politicians, on behalf of their corporate and banking sponsors, you go, yeah, I'm not going to do that. But you can ignore that, and that's the thing about denial that you are getting at, CJ. But one more point that came out of Cigars and Sunsets Friday was you have to apply the same attitude to cops, and that's not easy. Yep. Yeah. You. you All right. It. So there is a yeah. contest today, and it just came to me. And it's what song is playing in the background of the video that has been playing all of this military footage of military stuff? What song is being played in the background of that song? And uh, yeah, I mean, again, when you think about it, Adam, this is how propaganda works. This is what they do. They, you know, they, they make it out where it looks beautiful to be a part of, that you're doing something that you will never be able to do if you don't join something like this. And it's, it's really just flying planes, Adam. It's, it's, don't, don't worry about the bombs or the guns are on the plane. Just, just, it's just flying cool planes like that. It's just, it's just meeting good buddies and getting free college, Adam. Yeah. Yeah. And, and part of the problem with <laughs> – is that this was all uh, mental manipulation. Like, this was all psychological conditioning so that we were patriotic. Because I, in, in Nebraska, was very patriotical. My friends signed up and went to war. I tried to sign up and go to war because I wanted to serve my country. I wanted to be in the Air Force. I have asthma. I can't be in the Air Force if I have asthma. So I was like, screw it, I'm going to be a welder. But, Hold on, uh, we just had two great comments. Back. Yeah, the, the last one, <laughs> Arnie, yeah, let the bodies hit the floor. 
that, is that the right answer, CJ? I no, 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 no. Okay, hold on. Go back to the next one. <laughs> yeah, like our uh, the national anthem or something dumber like Nickelback. Oh, I like that. I love Nickelback. Don't get me started. Don't make me say the N-word on the air over and over again. Hey, Mary. Um, hold on. Then there was, an, there was another one. Go back one more. Yeah, Battle Hymn of the Oligarchy. Ah, not a real song, but it should be. I'll be, I'll be, able, I'll be able to play a 10-second clip of that by the end of the show if we don't have the right answer. Okay. And then the next one was... The soundtrack to the photo sequence would be America the Beautiful. Um, Full spacious sky. I was going to say Toby Keith's, um, not one of like proud to be an American or something like that. Something like country patriotic. Because when I watched that video, I got this feeling in my chest and I'm like. You guys, you guys ever seen the billboards down the highway for the military? They got the army uniforms, the Marine Corps uniforms, you know, they all got them. They all got it, you know, set up in a way that makes it look like you can be the best you you'll ever be. Climb the mountain, fight the dragon. I never got my Marine Corps commercial. This is a good point. But uh, yeah, when, when I was at boot camp, they said the lava monster was on vacation. It was really yeah, just, what is this? So that, it says I disagree with Adam Kokesh on so much, but if military recruits cannot see that the U.S. is an aggressive empire, then there is something wrong. He's a yeah. Bernie bro. He is Bernie bro. So this this kind of like let's let's assume that when you join the military today, that today's recruits are doing so completely based on lies. They have no true information, but they are about the situation. No, no, you know, relevantly true information, but they enlist like I did, and volunteered to deploy like I did. Now, this is simplifying my situation. I don't have this excuse. I was reasonably well-educated. I had I had at least a little sense of history. But then if you go and kill someone in Iraq, and it's based on all those lies, and it wasn't your decision, someone ordered you to pull the trigger, you shot someone, they died, how culpable are you and you kind of have to give a fraction or a percentage here. How culpable are you for murdering that person because you did not do your due diligence before going into business with the government? And that's that was something that, like, I really grappled with is with Iraq Veterans Against the War because it was a common question. Brooke B., we have killed a million men, women, and children in the Gulf and Mideast Wars. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's added up to more than a million now. When you join, you are complicit in evil. The truth is easily accessible. The responsibility is on them. Well, see, then, and, and I, and now, Brooke, I, I agree with you. And I'm, I'm just trying to say how much, right? How much response? Because, you, you know, I hate to say as a libertarian, you know, even from an ethical perspective, if you were a judge, right? Like, you would at some point have to be able to put some kind of number on this bit hypothetical, say there's some kind of, you know, private world court, and at some point the family of someone who was murdered in Iraq who has clear video that shows you were the one who murdered them, and you go before this world court and you say, yeah, I'm guilty, um, you know, I take responsibility for my share in this, and the standard at the time is 
to give someone a uh, hundred bitcoins for you know that kind of war debt. You say, well, how many of those hundred bitcoins should come from the U.S. government or its trustees of you know those managing its assets at that point, hopefully? And how much are you responsible for? And I don't have a perfect answer to that question. I think a lot of that's going to be subjective. But as libertarians, we should have at least a way to answer that question of proportionate culpability. And maybe it comes down to an individual judge in an individual case. But then also, in looking at the bigger picture, at least we have to have a vague sense of proportionate culpability because it relates to the police. And there are a lot of really egregious things done by police in America today that truly are in line with policy, with the orders that they are following, that they have been lied into believing are legitimate orders. And they are bullied by the system. They are incentivized to follow orders rather than do the right thing when they have the choice. So, I mean, the point of all of this, you know, I I think the question of military culpability is losing relevance. Thank God humanity is progressing, right? Less and less war every day. But the issue of ethics certainly applies in a very widespread way to, to law enforcement, really any government agent today. And I think even keeping that in mind, you know, when, whenever you see a cop do something horrific, unless it is of their own volition, it is of their own choice and initiative, there's no specific outside, like for the Marines who peed on Taliban soldiers and got caught on video pissing on dead enemy combatants, that's on them. For the Marine who was caught drop-kicking a puppy off a cliff, that's on him. But in cases like mine where, yeah, I take responsibility for my role, whatever it is, in torturing people, um, I know I don't bear 100% responsibility for that. And I wish we had a better way of answering this, these kinds of questions because it, it would even for me today, you know, I know that I had the power to stop it and the choice to not do it, and I did it. I was not doing so with full knowledge of the situation or circumstance. So to what degree do I bear responsibility? I think that's a really big question for libertarian ethics that actually has practical implications as we uh, we get away from statism, yeah? I mean, Adam, let me ask you this. You're, you, how old were you when you joined? 17 when I enlisted. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What the government says is the age of consent. I was raped into the military. We had this conversation earlier today about the age of consent, and I am against recruiters even being in high schools. Because that's preying on young before they're fully mental. Your prefrontal cortex does not fully develop until you're 25 years old, and that is responsible for logical, rational thinking and impulsive behaviors. 
the government uses that against us because kids want to go off and explore the world and want to escape. They know exactly what they're doing. They're being predators because that's what they are to fight their wars because the draft failed. Yep. So about your song, CJ, that seems like a bit of an esoteric contest, but I'll go with it for today. Mm-hmm. I will well, only because one... you didn't have one for yourself. Uh, uh, so I'm I've always got contests. I'm a statist that did say he entered the service before the wars of aggression, and as soon as they invaded, he refused to reenlist. So there, that was common. I did. Yeah, but you get that. You get that caveat that yeah, okay, you didn't choose to reenlist, but see, somebody like me who. When I was raised up in my community, it was honorable to go serve your country. It was it was the it was after nine eleven and being patriotic and it was being it was it was serving supporting your troops and yeah and not just sitting at home and 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 idly you know watching the world pass you by. It was it was you'll you'll travel the world, you'll see places and do things that most people won't. But then you, you really honestly. I, if anything, I'm really guilty of as far as war crimes would go would be the way that I clean toilets. I, I mean, I, I didn't clean toilets. I burned shitters. I, I mean, I mean, I was the worst, like the the lowest burned of lowest shit. on the totem poles. If they, if you asked people in the military when I went to Iraq, who's the lowest person in your battalion? It was me. So I don't – I'm not the guy that's sitting here going like, all right, we're going into this city, we're killing these people, we're doing this, that, and the other. I was the guy that's like, hey, clean the shitter. Hey, clean this, do that. You know, like, uh, you know, pick up this, clean this, move this, do that. Like, I wasn't the guy that was sitting there pulling the triggers in, in, in combat, you know, hot zones. I was the guy that was trying to find roadside bombs so people don't blow up. Like- I mean – The people who are trying to impose a foreign military occupation on another country don't get blown up. No, no, I mean, put it to you this way. Like, we were out on the roads. We didn't want to see anybody get blown up. And so people are putting in, like, at least from my perspective, I mean, but I've I've seen what happened. The the IEDs were remote control so they could use to be used just defensively. Well, I mean, I was a a combat engineer, so studying these bombs and these mines and these IEDs. Would you quit saying the magic word, CJ? What's the magic triggering word? You already just said them. What? Bomb. Oh, no, that's bomb, what I, bomb, that's what bomb, I studied. Bomb. I, uh, my job was to, to study these things, to learn how to find them. You can't them say bomb on a YouTube video. Yes, you can. So, <laughs> so I mean, for example, uh, you know, we had one person that wanted to get out of the uh, – get out ahead of our convoy and didn't want to wait behind our, our convoy – to, to get to town with his load of sheep. There's a YouTube video still on YouTube today I could pull up of sheep that have been blown up because the guy wanted to drive ahead of us when there was clearly being told that there were bombs being put in the ground. Um, and he know, didn't want to listen. And he didn't want to listen and he wanted to make market and he takes the chance of hitting a bomb while he drove about 10 miles up the road and boom. And then we – and the video is still on YouTube, YouTube, so it's really not the worst thing on YouTube is us talking about bombs. Oh, but, but there's literally videos of dead sheep in the, on the ground. Wait, wait, are, CJ, are you telling me that sensors are inconsistent in they applying yeah, principles to keep us well, safe from dangerous well, conversations? You've already said all the boxes today other than fuck. Oh, shit. Nope, I, don't <laughs> mind. I got the last one for us. I'll check the box. All we need now is some music. Wait, we Please. haven't mentioned the coronavirus yet. 
The the coronavirus, the coronavirus, the COVID-19 box is no longer on YouTube. Because President Trump has it. Everything changes once the world (laughs) Yeah, I can't. When it says sensitive issues now and it says analysis of COVID-19 issues, related issues, that box is no longer there. That's really interesting. I wonder if there was some pressure on YouTube to to say, no, you have to let people discuss Corona. Yes. I was dropping bombs in porta shitters all over the Middle East. <laughs> I was uh, I, admiring the masturbation graffiti. <laughs> you know, I thought if we if we called it the Karina virus, we could get around the censors that way. I guess not. But CJ, I have uh, I have a music guest for you for myself here. Okay. Um, although asterisk ineligible. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> when when I was in when I was in Iraq, that was 2004. Uh, the song "Bring Me to Life" by Evanescence oh. was very popular. Okay, it's it's definitely not it on that video. No, but that but is me, yeah. still a staple song of the war for sure. Yeah, exactly, exactly. exactly. Let me let me let me explain my guess because my oh excuse me, there's like a bug in my nose or something. Um, a lot of units put together unit album videos. Like that was where the yes, tech part. You know, Windows Movie Maker, you could take a bunch of digital photos and slap a soundtrack to them. It was very easy. And I saw literally half a dozen, because I was in civil affairs and I was a data whore and I I collect, I had thumb drives I would pass around, I would share, you know, swap my porn collection for snuff. Absolutely. Not, Not snuff. Porn, but like absolutely military violence videos. No, 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 no. As in, you don't know what you're getting. Data, gigabytes and gigabytes and gigabytes of porn was being transferred in the deserts out there. I guarantee yeah. you. Everybody, well, I, I shared my South Park yeah. too. Um, oh, but yeah. I have, South Park. Check out when it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, for sure. I would- I was sending care packages over to the sandbox while you guys were there. I know exactly what you guys were doing. Did you ever get? Oh, go ahead. I have a picture that I took sitting in the cab on a seven-ton truck with my laptop on the dash, watching South Park, with (laughs) the city of Fallujah with bombs going off in the distance. Yeah. Um, But hold on, I want to say something about this song before we move on because it really was emblematic of the nationalism uh, behind the war and the the psychological degradation of the Iraqi people. Uh, We can't play the song, so I'm going to have to sing it. Uh, But this is Bring Me to Life by Evanescence. Oh, please don't. Please don't. It's a a male-female vocalist duo. I'm pretty sure. I have an idea. You guys know Wake me up. I can't wake up. Wake me up inside. All right, I'll stop there. I get the idea. Now you're going to have the song stuck in your head the rest of the day. Save me. Come on. Anyway, call my name and save me from the dark. Wake me up. Bid my blood to run. Wake me up before I come undone. 
save me, save me from the nothing I've become. And it's this, like, nationalist savior complex in a song when you apply this to these deployment album videos that so many units did out of Iraq. It, it's become a really offensive song to me just because of that use. So if you said, Adam, video of glorifying Iraq war in a cheesy old video, I'd be like, that's evanescence. Bring me to life. I, Anastasia said, I have to sing it. Uh, I actually uh, <laughs> have a Smule account, and my idea was Adam and I doing a duet, duet and then adding it for, like, content on the website because he said he wanted to sing it. So now I'm going to challenge you to sing off. Well, see, Mercedes, if you lived here and we were organized and had the budget and production support, we could do a parody music video of this where I'm dressed up as a soldier occupying a rock and you're in a rock Oh my god. Just TikTok this, you guys. I don't do TikTok. That's all. I mean, come on, guys. Just get with the time. No, no, no. This is a production music video. And, uh. I do know people. Mercedes would end up, you know, like that guy with the hood and his hands out with the electrodes at Abu Ghraib. That would be the dramatic conclusion. Oh, jeez. Would you just not? Let's do this. Right. It sounds like it would be a lot of fun. All right. A couple more promos, and we're going to get to the news. Yes. com. You can be as stylish as me with your Adam versus the Man bucket hat and dozens. How many items are we up to on the store, CJ? Something like 60, but uh, we'll have them over 120 by the time I'm done. Yeah. God damn. All right. Basically, everything we can do with Printful is going to have a Freedom, Adam versus the Man, or Gardenia logo slapped on it. This is, I'm keeping this hat clean until I have another one for studio promo, but pretty soon here, this is going to be my new Get Shit Done Out in the Sun hat, working ah, around I the garden. Your, so. I love your date night hat, uh, CJ. It's okay, be CJ. <laughs> I, do, I uh, don't have anything yet, you know. I'm holding out. Yeah, don't forget, if you join the Producers Club, uh, there is a Producers Club promo code you can use. And if you've been paying attention in some of the chats, yes, there even is a secret Adam versus the Man promo code you can use if you've been watching enough to figure it out. And being in the Producers Club means that you get to know what we know before you know it when we go on and talk about it. Yeah, you'll know about what we know about before you know that we know about it. Yeah. (laughs) And CJ, the contest today is to guess the song in that video. Just guess the song. I mean, it should be pretty easy, but I mean, but this is the idea. First off, when we're talking about propaganda and, and militarism, this is what people use to glorify it. So uh, I think you're going to be very surprised with this selection of this song and this video. And uh, and and I don't I don't know. Maybe people will get it. So we'll 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 see what what happens. So can we get one little clue here? And I would I would ask, are you are you trying to tell us that it's kind of obvious? Like it's, it's a what? It's, it's, well, it's so obvious. It's hugely obvious. It's bigly obvious. It's never been the. It's the biggest of biggest obvious of all obvious. Hold things. on. All right. So 
The song is at the beginning oh, no. by Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Professor Mike gets a point for coolness. Um, well, give us a clue. Is it old school patriotism or 2000s rock patriotism? I think it crosses all fields, and it oh, will forever shit. be it will forever be known as the statist uh, national anthem. Okay, there you go. I don't know, CJ. I think you've made it too obvious. I think I think I think statists knew what the statist national anthem was already before. I, we I'm, I'm pretty sure it's "Fucker Gently" by Tenacious D. Yes. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll put the I'll put the real answer out on the uh, on on the interwebs later. But yeah, the the the, the song that you were that was the statist national anthem, which we can actually play. Fifteen seconds of. And I'll put the title on. Yeah, oh God. So what, is the contest over now? Well, the statist won it, so I mean, really... But uh, but you know what? The, it, I think there's a bigger point to that. Is that that's what was glorified? That's the the men who died who gave that right to me has always been a line that's been tricky to me in the statist national anthem. And, and explaining us. And, and, well, again, it's it, your rights don't come from men. In my they opinion, certainly don't come from death. And they certainly don't come from death. And so it's just, it's it's the status national anthem. I mean, but yeah, a, cont- a pretty, pretty easy comm test, I guess, but... Here, we need the best wrong answer now, because I'm a status is on fire. Jammering by <laughs> <laughs> But now, I think that, that contest was really easy. It should be best wrong answer wins. So, so yeah, far, best wrong so far answer. for yeah, me, I, like I know that. I don't matter, but like... No, you do matter. Face. You're in the... Yeah. Well, well, no, Adam I'm, matters. The, Adam well, gets the same. No, no, no. Your producer's club, you, you oh. do matter. But the the thing is, is best answer to Adam, of course, but you so, have oh, influence. That's, that's At Medium Pace by Adam Sandler. And then this one. That one's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Another one bites the dust is okay, but it's not. Now, now Matt, you say counting uh, bodies like sheep. Now, this song, Matt, that you're I talking about here, counting bodies like sheep. Now, let me tell you about torture, Adam. That song was the song that we played on repeat when we got a detainee. Put him in the back of our vehicle, hog tied, and well, really hog tied behind the back. Uh, head, you know, bag over the head, can't see, goggles over his eyes, disorientating. And we played that song. He doesn't speak English. So imagine hearing counting bodies like sheep, surround sound in the vehicles. You hear a gun rack. Like, I mean, and we were on bumpy roads. We were the lead vehicle, basically yelling and screaming at him the whole time. Like, And, and we were taking him to where he was most likely going to go to Gitmo. I mean, and and he, you know, you hit the brakes and his head smashes into the back of the cougar doors. You know, you you don't really care about because he just blew up a few of our vehicles. Like, you know, it was. It, it, and and if you got the right guy, you know, if we got the right guy, but you know, we we he had the the bomb making stuff on his hands. I'm but, so uh, sorry that you guys had to do that. But uh, I was in that lead vehicle that day. I'll never forget it. Um, and and that song, counting bodies like sheep, every time I hear it, 
Uh, it doesn't bring me back to a place of patriotism and, and that. It, it brings me to a place of remembering, you know, exactly where I was and what I was doing and, and who I was actually working for. That's what that the, the evanescence bring me to life. That has a, that has the same a similar, but on a different dynamic, uh, weird psychological effect on me. You know me. what this is called? PTSD. No, well, it's uh, not. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 you hear a song and it puts you back where your feelings are. That's the PTSD. No, effect. no, it's no. I. I don't want to exaggerate and call my association no. with this song a PTSD response, but when I hear "Bring it Me Alive" by Evanescence, it just it reminds me. It's not like I get. I have. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I love on, you. No. I love you. <laughs> I I have experienced plenty of involuntary memory recall. Okay, that's yeah. PTSD. Well, that's when I hear a song. And I engage with it and conscientiously allow it to remind me and think of something. So there actually, it's well, no, it is, but it's controlled response. You have triggering moments in which you're not in control of, and then you have moments that trigger you and you are in control of them. And it depends on the severity of the react emotional reaction. I'm not, I'm not triggered. I'm not triggered, Mercedes. In this case, it's it's an intellectual association where I hear that song and I go. Yep, that was the arrogance of imperialism in Iraq. We're going to save these poor Iraqi civilians, bring them back to life. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's it's an important distinction, but it's just that. It's just that association that makes me go. No, I get it. God damn it. Those songs don't bring back good memories for me. And, and, And the comments are agreeing with Mercedes. It's PTSD, like it or not. Uh, I only know that because of. I only know well, it because I suffered from it I because think, the American government broke my brain, too. My boyfriend was in Iraq, and he definitely is a, is was misted or something. There's nobody. I don't know. Well, so the other song I have a similar strong association with, uh, aside from pandering, because I love Bo Burnham, um, is uh, Let the Bodies Hit the Floor. Because that was everywhere during the invasion and the years after that and all the highlight videos. And uh, that was a song that a lot of the troops had in their headphones while they were driving trucks and tanks across the desert, getting hyped up to kill it. There it is. And that is propaganda. That is how it's done. That's how it continues. And they do it through videos just like we showed right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. There's a way out, though. Oh, yeah, Mercedes? Yeah. Let is, me it called, show you. Is, it, is it called Freedom? It is, but also... By watching Adam versus the Man? But also mental health support. Thank you for coming to my yeah. talk. <laughs> <laughs> I will show you Dayway. Let me show you Dayway. It's, it's, it's right. very interesting to have Mercedes instead of Jim on today. Yeah, we are yeah. like polar opposites. So yeah. I... I, I I just want to point out one more thing to, to wrap up this wonderful conversation and, and get to some news and make sure we covered all our promos this morning. And it's that the original primary motivator, aside from the general background <laughs> of propaganda, that led me to want to enlist in the Marines was the movie Full Metal Jacket. And Full Metal Jacket was intended as an anti-war film. 
And in terms of the absurdity and futility of the war in Vietnam at the time, it was pretty effective. And yet somehow still glorified war. And it, it, it's something that it, it, we really need, you know, as content creators and, and even for, for us as veterans talking about this, that, uh, yeah, and there's some good clips, CJ, careful, we're going to get pinged. Uh, <laughs> uh, even for CJ and I or, or any other veterans, you know, trying to talk about our experience, like I can't be dishonest and say that I didn't kind of enjoy my deployment. I was participating in evil and I was psychologically scarred by it, but as an overall challenge, a seven-month adventure, I enjoyed it, and I hope that's the closest I ever get to glorifying war. And I think anytime I say that, I couch it with enough portrayal of the evil involved that it, it counteracts the glorification. Yes. But Full Metal Jacket, no, I maybe we're wrong. the Marine Corps. Oh, yeah, definitely glorified the Marines in particular. There's one scene I remember uh, from near the end of the first half, which covers boot camp. The second half, they go to Vietnam. And there's a voiceover from Joker, the main character, and he says something to the effect of, the Marine Corps does not want robots. The Marine Corps wants men who believe they are instructable and will do what they're told. Obedient. Yep, yep. All right. So uh, do we have any other, I guess, uh, Promos. I think we've covered more than enough that, that so far this morning. <laughs> Gar Federation merch, Patreon, watch live, help us fight the censorship, share our videos. And uh, now that we're almost an hour in, let's do some news, shall we? Mercedes will Mercedes will be staying on comments the whole time. She's fully capable of this responsibility. I hope so. Maybe maybe she's capable of getting herself off screen for a minute. Oh, I don't uh, know how to do this. MakeThemDebate.com. Thank you. That's our last promo. If you haven't seen me versus Dario Rahim from last week, check it out. I had six kittens in the room, so I won. It was a lot of fun. And you can make more debates happen there. Now, someone is trying to get me uh, set up for a debate with Joe Rogan, of course. You know me as a PR whore. I would be happy to take a debate with Joe Rogan, even if it was in the back of a a bathroom. Uh, 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 there was a better joke behind that, but uh, at some point. But uh, it seems unlikely. But the the hot Mercedes as our debate coordinator is my debate coordinator. But also, I think you know Mercedes is a debate coordinator. I think it's a pretty cool skill that uh, that she'll be able to to apply for uh, for other libertarians uh, and for yourself as well. But is the hot current one on Make Them Debate Me versus Webster Tarpley? I think I think that's what we're what we're looking to, to make happen before anything else and, and, and to promote that one. So uh check out Webster Tarpley, leftist activist who I interviewed in a way that turned into more of a debate than I expected at Bilderberg in twenty twelve in Virginia. If you want to go back and see that video, uh I do kind of recommend that. It was, it was, it was, it's a fun, informative, and, and thought-provoking video. But if you want to help more debates happen, sign up on MakeThemDebate.com and, and check out the system that they've got going there. All right. Let's get to some news.
Oh my gosh, or I can stop my nose from tickling. I feel like I did coke all weekend and I didn't, I haven't done coke in months. Wait, weeks. Yeah. Anyway, our first story is from NBCnews.com. Police officer charged with murder and shooting a black man at gas station. The Texas Department of Public Safety said that a preliminary investigation indicates the officer's actions were not objectionably reasonable. I think you meant unobjectionably reasonable. But that's okay. It's a, a Texas police officer fatally shot a black man has been arrested and charged with murder. The officer, Sean Lucas, of the Wolf City Police Department, did not take reasonable action in the encounter that killed Jonathan Price, 31. The Texas Rangers sent a statement. Lucas Bond was set at $1 million. Jail record. So his family has said he had intervened Saturday night in a fight between a man and a woman at a gas station before the shooting. Lucas responded to a disturbance call about a possible fight at about 8.24 p.m. According to the statement, Lucas attempted to detain Price, who resisted in a non-threatening posture and began walking away. Lucas, 22, used a stun gun before shooting Price, who was taken to a hospital and died. The Texas Rangers said, quote, the preliminary investigation indicates that the actions of Officer Lucas were not objectionably reasonable. Uh, I guess in the sense they use objectionable in a a slightly different sense. Um, As Merritt said, uh, this is the attorney for Price's family. When police arrived, I'm told he raised his hands and attempted to explain what was going on. Police fired tasers at him, and when his body convulsed from the electrical current, they perceived as a threat and shot him to death. Wow. So there are a couple cool – I'm sorry, cool – uh, a couple more takeaways from this story. Hey, if you're not a threat, if you're acting peacefully, you could be lying on the ground, face down on the ground, with your hands and legs spread out, totally prone, and if a cop wants an excuse to shoot you, I mean, there are plenty of ways they can come up with them, but apparently now they can tase you, and if your body convulses, well, then you're resisting arrest and possibly a threat, and then they can shoot you because the taser's obviously not working. Now, fortunately, in this case, the officer's not going to get away with it. Too many cameras, too much accountability. But we saw in the uh, case with Brianna Taylor recently where the cops were not charged except for one with uh, a, a charge, basically negligent, negligent discharge of a weapon, careless endangerment, something like that, or reckless endangerment. But no charges for... Yeah, killing Breonna Taylor. And you go, really, government? Really, police? You think you can keep pulling shit like this and we're not going to notice? We're going to respect your authority? And every time there's a case where a cop murders or injures an innocent person, and is not held accountable. It sends two very important, dangerous messages. One, cops can act with immunity. If you, it's so easy for cops to cover things up. But hey, even if you can't, if you can say, hey, you were sort of following procedure or training or whatever, no liability, no criminal charges, 
Maybe. I mean, oftentimes the typical response in, in recent history has been, oh, one of our officers did something bad. We're going we're gonna to take them off the street. We're going to put them on desk duty until we investigate and figure this out. And then we're going to investigate ourselves, and we're going to tell you that we did nothing wrong. And an officer gets, you know, temporary desk duty and a note in their file and back out on the streets. Or what's worse is they get paid leave. That's And I, I mean, gee, this is, I, I know this still happens. I haven't heard it with any, uh, you know, super prominent stories lately, which I, I suppose uh, is, that is a really good sign. But what does it tell a, a cop when it's like, hey, if you fuck up on the job and you shoot somebody by accident, we're going to give you a paid vacation. And then we're going to investigate ourselves and tell everybody that we did nothing wrong. So we're not yet at the point where we have turned this corner of police accountability in America, but we're turning it. And it's it's really exciting, and it's one of these things that, as exciting, if you if you have the luxury that, that we do of being able to follow the news this closely, you go, wow, wow, the police state is becoming significantly less vicious, more accountable. That's really cool. That's a good thing. Uh, I, I would say we're, I don't know, like Churchill might say, uh, towards the end of the beginning of the end of police reform in America, of this phase of police reform, of just getting past the legacies of racism and arbitrary enforcement of victimless crime laws and tax laws, of course, which are, you know, stealing for government, basically uh, stealing on behalf of politicians. And that's not most law enforcement, obviously, but if they weren't able to point guns at peaceful people, they wouldn't be able to collect taxes. That's kind of how it works. So this might not be the kind of thing that you notice conscientiously in your experience. But I think you could say that you have already noticed a shift. If you're at least as long in the tooth as myself at age 38, I remember dealing with police before body cams were a thing. I now have an active lawsuit against a cop who dropped me on my head in custody. Explains a lot, doesn't it? Uh, this was in New Orleans. And we have body camera footage of it. Now, the crazy thing is, this happened last, I think it was last February year and a half ago, still working its way through the courts. And in my case, you know, I had a concussion. Um, certainly permanent effects, not from the injury itself, but from the arrest. And, I mean, if I had been working a wage slave job and had to do three nights in jail, well, you just lost your job probably. Your family that depended on you didn't have you there for those three days. There, There's so many other consequences that still have to be addressed but the end of the beginning of the end as I would describe it where we are now is that I think we have achieved one a certain level of awareness in the United States about police brutality 
mean, the basic fact that you as the, the average American is 50, according to government numbers, and it could be a lot higher, 50 times more likely to be killed by a cop than by a terrorist. Yeah. Now, obviously, the statistic needs a lot of explanation. How many of those people shot by cops were justified? Well, I would say none of them. You're the fucking police. You have the money for drones to drop cargo nets out of the sky or shoot stun guns at people from a distance or poison darts to disable them, like tranquilizers. There's no excuse. Uh, except criminal has a gun and is about to pull the trigger and shoot someone else, and the only way to disable them is to kill them. Other than that, very, very rare, I mean, just from a security perspective, very, very, very rarely is that actually physically justified. And one of the things that I'm looking forward to that I think will be most important for America in this coming phase of, of police reform that you might say we've already started is an appropriate use of non-lethal weapons and escalation of force uh, appropriately when necessary. And even more importantly, training and practices of de-escalation because police know that now the incentives have changed and they will be held accountable for when they commit crimes under the color of law. And that's not true yet. Police all over this country, not just on the surface, enforcing victimless crime laws, but running drugs, committing violence, with their own evidence locker rackets, police still get away with a lot of evil in the United States. And with, with a case like this, there are two ways of looking at it. One, you could say, because like, like, if, if, if there was one cop on a, on a major city police force who just decided he's not going to wear pants from now on while on the job, right? He's walking around, dong, hanging out in the breeze. You know, the police department is going to go, no, fire that crazy fucker. Not because he's committing a crime, not because they believe in holding themselves accountable, but because he's an embarrassment to the department and bad for their credibility and therefore their sense of authority in the community. So if a cop murders someone, in an incident where they can use the judge in the case or they can use the court system. And this is why police departments have, you know, PR functions and do press conferences. They can go out and say, this person doesn't represent us. We're handling it. He's fired. He's out of here. And they don't fire. Think about, again, what is the purpose of the police force? To enforce the will of politicians on the people. The sort of artificial reason is to protect and serve. And then the Supreme Court ruled, no, you don't have any obligation to do either of those things, so it's just empty rhetoric. They are there to enforce laws written by politicians. And there's a, there's a large function. I don't mean to deny the legitimate services provided by police and that, you know, when they go... I guess it's the firemen who, or firefighters who go save cats out of trees. What is it that the police do? Oh, well, like the roadside assistance stuff that would be better handled by AAA anyhow. Uh, responding to mental health crises, um, 
which would be better handled by people who don't shoot dogs at front doors. You know, they have things like that, but there are legitimate services uh, being delivered by police. But that's not the purpose, because if that was the purpose, they would let other groups handle those functions and use police just for forced, as in violent or coercive, public safety services and enforcement of the natural law. But they they take on all these other functions because it makes them more effective as an exploitation racket. They can justify, uh, how dare you want to defund the police? Look at all these essential functions they perform. It's like, okay, let's defund the illegitimate functions and only have police forming, performing legitimate functions. Oh, well, duh. So anyway, to bring it back to this story, and I know this is, a, this is sort of a long uh, background explanation to all of this, but this seems like a case where it could be kind of both. Uh, black, oh, excuse me, police officer charged with murder and shooting a black man at gas station. If the police department, the Texas Department of Public Safety, uh, really wanted to go all out and say that they wanted to defend this officer, uh, they might look at these videos and say, well, there's one point when he was convulsing with the Taylor taser, you know, he raised his hand like this and it looked like he might have had a gun. And then they get a judge to sign off on it, and the cop goes back to where he was, and that's that's the deal. Now, maybe this guy's a trouble cop. Maybe the cops – I mean, if you're a police department, your purpose is not to kill random people. In fact, the actual murder like this of random people doesn't serve your general law enforcement purpose because it aggravates community relationships and, and lowers your credibility, makes people – less likely to call the police in, in a sense you you lose business uh, but there there is uh, if, if that's the case if this is kind of uh, one of those cases on the cusp that, that could have gone either way uh, I do think it is a good sign of the times that this officer actually and and it's not just remember like this in this case he didn't just get reprimanded or put on desk duty or paid vacation. He's been arrested and charged with murder. So, I know a lot of libertarians aren't going to like me saying this, but thank you Black Lives Matter for raising the awareness and putting the pressure on police departments in such a way that increases accountability and makes all of us safer. But I'd also have to thank my old friends Pete Ayer, and Adamo Freeman, the founders of copblock.org, which has uh, been handed over to other people at this point. But for everybody who raises awareness about the dangers that police present, it means that the result is that when something like this happens, whoever in that police department or the Texas Department of Public Safety making this decision, how do we handle this case, now has to consider all of these other factors that just didn't exist ten years ago, and yeah, we had the we had the technology for body cams, duh, but they weren't widespread. The awareness wasn't as out there, and so to everybody who's contributed to this effort, thank you. Your work in police reform does save lives.
All right. I got some comments from the uh, producers club, probably telling me to blow my nose. Uh, ooh, wow. All right. We got a call flood on here. CJ is uh, posting a message forwarded from Mary Wildfire. Blind Justice. Uh, I'm, I'm, I apologize. I got, I got to blow my nose. I got like one big honker here. Uh, it is uh, making it kind of hard for me to talk. So, yeah. Less boogers, more talking. Uh, but, yeah, this is this is uh, Mike, our friend Mike Nelson, who's in Afghanistan, a uh, veteran who's effectively blind, uh, legally blind, um, because of his military service, actually. And he is an incredible libertarian activist. Not only that, I've never told anybody this publicly, um, but my brand, Freedom, and the book itself, he is the heir to the brand and the book and the message. Of course, the book, Freedom, is in and of itself open source. You can rewrite it, put your own name on the cover, sell more copies, and I would be happy to see that information getting out there. Um, and so if someone, you know, tweaks freedom or if, uh, you know, uh, Nelson decides to, Mike Nelson, uh, you know, decides that he wants to update it somehow. Uh, but if, if I die, if, I might live forever, but if I die, uh, Mike Nelson, I'm glad to be saying this on the record at least, um, because I don't think I have this written in a will. Uh, but Mike Nelson has claim to all of my whatever stash is left of, of my copies of Freedom and uh, becomes the custodian of the brand and the website, thefreedomline.com. Um, and I can't say owner because there's there's no intellectual property, as in it doesn't exist. It's myth. It's a government market or a contractual metaphor at best. But no, I don't claim any, no, excuse me, intellectual property protection rights to the book. So that's why uh, he would really just be the custodian of freedom, if anything happened to me. And he does a lot of great activism. We had him on, what was it, two or three weeks ago uh, with some of his most recent legal challenges. He does a lot of First Amendment audits, which when you're blind is either really fun or really challenging or both. And imagine, like, going into a government building with a walking stick, and I don't mean a walking stick, there's a different term for it, not a walk, a stick that helps you walk. Uh, you know, like one of the, the, the sticks that blind people use to make sure they don't bump into shit, to feel things out. Uh, like, you know, like a tennis ball on a pole. Imagine going into a, a police department with, uh, with your cell phone video camera recording in one hand and your blind man stick in the other hand. And he has gotten significantly beat up and, and, and roughed up in, in some of the rest that he's experienced as a result of this. So apparently, based on what we interviewed him about a few weeks ago, he had a court date, and, and this is the message for it from Mary, Mary Wildfire um, uh, by CJ into our Producers Club chat. Blind Justice, that's his, his stage name. It's great. It's his YouTube channel, Blind Justice. Yeah, love it. The thing is, you can't shorten that and go around. Hey, what's up, Blind? What's up, Blindy? Uh, but, yeah, Blind Justice. I mean, nobody calls me Anna versus a man in person. Uh, but, no, great, great stage name. Blind Justice was arrested for failure to appear 
in court when he was denied access to appear in court. I think everyone should call the sheriff. So, I'm, CJ, um, I'm not going to put this out, like, live on the air like this, like, hey, do a call flood now. But uh, do we have a link? Can we make sure that by the end of the show we get uh, a link with a, with a little more credible version of the backstory for, for Mike Nelson and the number and his current situation? And uh, what, what I'm – what I'm guessing happened here, because I've heard some of the stories with court access, you know, if you're if you're not blind, you get to walk through their security checkpoint and, and metal detector and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Mike wears glasses that have a sonic translation device that vibrates his skull so that he can kind of hear. And he's had issues getting that into courtrooms where they allow no electronic devices. There are a lot of courtrooms in America where you got to put your cell phone in a locker outside or leave it with a bailiff or something. And, and if not that, if it, if it buzzes in your pocket, uh, you get kicked out of the courtroom. So, uh, yeah, hopefully let's let, – I mean, if this is not – I mean, if he was – or he's been arrested, it doesn't sound like there's anything – emergency timing about this, but it is urgent. So, Mercedes, should I pull up the comment? Um, if the comment is sufficient to give the backstory and the reason for I, I think when you, when you ask someone to participate in a call flood against government in order to save an individual activist from persecution... I think you need at least uh, a little backstory and context so people know what they're asking for and why, as well as the number and the timing and who they're talking to and the immediate significance. Now, um, you said call the sheriff. The sheriff is the person who's holding him. I don't think that the sheriff is anywhere near the decision maker in this case. Uh, a call flood to the judge would probably be a lot more effective. So let's hold off on, on blasting this. Uh, until we hear from his wife, Christina Nelson, who is a, a great mother and partner in his activism. CJ, from this? Yeah, no, I got disconnected, but uh, his wife's already put out information, and there's a video here, 19 minutes and 33 seconds, explaining what's going on, and as well as asking and putting out the numbers for the judges and uh, the attorneys and everything right there. So I think it's safe to say that that's what she's asking. All right, very cool. Now, then, then absolutely safe to say that. I, I mean, my advice to Christina is you still got to do a one-page write-up because I don't want to watch a 20-minute video in order to make this call. But I personally will make a call if you can convince me in two or three paragraphs. I go, oh, yeah, that. Boom, I can make an informed call now. So what was that comment on screen there? Did Mercedes want me to read something? Mary Wildfire, please call and address your grievance to your government on how you feel about the way they treat this veteran. Yeah, so if you're watching right now and you're just angry and you want to express some of that, uh, let's leave that comment on screen for a few minutes with the number, uh, please. So if you just want to call, this is <clears throat> um, what I get. Mary, let, Mary, can you take that down? Mary, if you would, please, can you give us a comment that, uh, that says, like, who you're calling? and his name, and why exactly, just in one or two sentences. And uh, we'll leave it on screen for, for at least, uh, I, I guess, most of the rest of the show. 
um, and, and promote it that way then. But you see, it's, it's kind of got to have those elements. You can't just say, government screwed this guy, call this number. You know, there. I, when I ask for volunteer help, uh, I value your time so much that I would be as careful as I can in making sure that your efforts are never wasted. All right, so helps for blind justice. But, okay, so that still needs, like, a little bit more. So you might say, to ask the judge to release him, right? And if that number was – unless you want to tell me otherwise, and, and it might be, like, a secondary call, and if Christina wants you to call the sheriff, then yeah, we'll call the sheriff too, and we'll blast all that. But uh, you gotta you got to say who you're calling and why specifically. You can't just call a number and be like, hi, do you work for government? Please support blind justice. And then you're going to go, who's that? Uh, I don't know. Thank you. You know, no. you, you got to have a, at least enough information to make a specific meaningful request. So thank you for that live update for the show here. We have a huge pile of news, like huge, like Trump huge. So with the last uh, 35 minutes of the show here, we're going to get through as much as this is possible. Uh, but I'll take a quick break right now. Do we have Mercedes? Any other comments you want to pop up, pop up on screen or anything? You got to jump up to comment on yourself. Um, you know, kind of. It's just in the, in the comment section right now. Um, they're just talking about what, like, what exactly happened to Mike. Um, and just what's going on with what we're talking about right now. They denied him access with his medical device. I only know as much as his girlfriend gave. Um, Is that the newest one? Wife. Wife. And, yeah, that's what's going on in the the comment section. just been keeping up with us today. They like my hair and my lipstick and what you're saying and also not what you're saying. So. All right, well, remind me at the end of the show, and, and I'll, uh, I'll text Christina, and maybe we can get her on for uh, for an emergency interview to update everybody and, and promote this call flood tomorrow. But at very least, we can we can promote the call flood right now based on what we know. Mary Wildfire did say that she called, and um, so, yeah. Well, so please give me – give Mary, please give me another comment. I, I just had one sentence that it – you know, put – Mike Nelson, blind justice, has been arrested unlawfully for this. Please call this person at this number and ask for this. You have to have all of those elements for a proper call flood request. Yes. So if you could get us that, I'll put it up on the screen. We can probably leave it up for the rest of the show. Yeah. 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 No, we'll leave it up for the rest of the show whenever Mercedes doesn't have another comment to put up. It'll just be here. Comment. Just leave that comment up. Yeah, I don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. All right. Um, and that's it. All right. So since we have a big pile of news, CJ, we're going to skip around a little bit here. Tell a, what is this? Telesurenglish.net. Telesur HD. The headline is U.S. bans communist immigrants from ever becoming citizens. And I have to wonder, if you're, if you're a government, how can you look into the heart and soul of another human being and determine if there really is an evil core of communism there or not? 
The line between good and evil runs through every human heart, after all. So let's see, how are they actually proposing this new guidance on immigration laws released Friday by the United States Citizens and Immigration Service, USCIS, make it almost impossible for members of a communist or similar party to be granted permanent residence or U.S. citizenship. In a policy alert issued October 2nd, USCIS announced, in general, quote, in general, unless otherwise exempt, any intending immigrant who is a member or affiliate of the Communist Party or any other totalitarian party, domestic or foreign, is inadmissible to the United States. The policy amendment supposedly, quote, part of a broader set of laws passed by Congress to address threats to the safety and security of the United States effectively blocks members of the Chinese Communist Party, CCP, from ever obtaining permanent residency or citizenship in the United States. While the alert did not explicitly mention the Communist Party of China, which has more than 90 million members, that's actually really interesting, right? Out of a population of about a million in China, only 90 million are actually registered as Communist Party members. And can impact millions more in Cuba, Vietnam, Laos, and elsewhere. You know, there are other places, there are all those 90 million, right? I mean, we're still talking roughly 10% of the population of China. Those aren't, like, party activists, organizers, leaders. For a lot of basic privileges that should be rights in China, you have to be a member of the Communist Party. Uh, oftentimes, to start a business, to develop housing, to host events. Um, and I, I don't pretend to know the exact limitations, but there's a reason membership is actually as high as it is. And there are other countries where, in a sort of pro forma way at least, it's worse than that. Like, if you're, you have to be a member of whatever party to vote. And even, like, in the United States, right, in the U.S., there are a lot of people who are neither liberal nor conservative and, frankly, hate both parties, but will register Republican or Democrat because they believe that their vote in the primary with that party in their area is more relevant, right? Like, let's say you're a liberal uh, and you live in an extremely conservative area. You could register Democrat and vote in the Democrat primary as an exercise in futility, knowing that 99% odds the Democrat, whoever you nominate, is not going to win. Or you register Republican, and at least you have a say in the primary that essentially determines the winner of the general election, right? And there are other countries that have other similar such manipulations they leave people who aren't even communists to be communists in name only. Sinos? Kinos? Anyway. Well, the alert did not explain... Uh, uh, the move adds a new dimension in Washington's ongoing aggression against the Chinese government and people and the left more broadly. The policy builds on laws dating back to 1918, which classified communists and anarchists as security threats into 1950 when the Inter Internal Security Act excluded foreign members of communist or totalitarian parties from becoming naturalized U.S. citizens. So there, there's this sort of 
you know, obvious on its face problem with this is that someone could say, I want to come to the United States, and someone says, we can't let you in, you're a communist. I hereby denounce communism. I'm not a communist anymore. I want to be an American capitalist. I mean, corporatist. I mean, socialist. I mean, fascist. I mean, oh, wait, aren't you guys communists in the United States? What? What's wrong with this picture? And it's sort of like an identification issue. It's not, are you a communist? It's that you identify as a communist. There's no test for communism. It's a belief. Now, you can say that in the name of communism, you have committed crimes. In the name of communism, you have stolen property or murdered or assaulted someone. And in that case, even then, from a market perspective, your threat to society is not the bad ideas in your head, but the bad actions that they result in. Speaking of which, if America is going to say, if the American federal government is going to say, no communists allowed, they're going to have to define communism. So you wonder why they, they, they're they doing this, because they're, they're not defining communism. I mean, I'm sure in, in, in this whole, there's, so there's a policy alert. Let, let's read the actual government document for a bit here. Um, let's see if we can, if we can pull it up. Uh, the inadmissibility ground for membership in or affiliation with the communists or any other totalitarian party is part of a broader set of laws passed by Congress. I'm just leaning over it's a really fine print. To address threats to the safety and security of the United States in general, unless otherwise exempt, any immigrant who is or has been a member of or affiliated with the communist or any other totalitarian party or subdivision or affiliate, domestic or foreign, is inadmissible to the United States. Now, okay, doesn't apply, only applies to aliens seeking immigration status. Da, 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 yeah. So it's not, it, you know, little, little you know, legal limitations on this policy, of course. But here's the problem. They're basically saying anybody who publicly has or is identified as nominally a communist, or what, what is this, um, has been a member of or affiliated with the communist or any other totalitarian party. Guilt by association? I mean, if you catered one of their parties, are you... I mean, and in China, it's literally everybody. Even if you're not a member of the communist party, when it's 10% of the population that dominates... Pretty much everything runs Uyghur concentration cramps and camps and forces a one-child policy, etc., etc., etc. All of the communist violent crimes of the Chinese government. Pretty much every Chinese citizen is associated or affiliated with the Chinese Communist Party. So they create a very subjective blanket policy here. But there's one other giant problem. Because are you communist if you call yourself communist or if you believe in communism and act on it? Because if I murdered a bunch of people and said, yeah, but I'm not affiliated with that gang or that murder club over there, and uh, what I do is, is really, uh, it, it's this early assisted end of life 
services that I provide to people, right? Then it doesn't matter if I call myself a murderer or not. I'm a fucking murderer. And the sad thing is just how fucking backwards this policy is. Because in other countries, people proclaim loudly, publicly, their communism and affiliation with the Communist Party in order to not get killed by authorities, in order to claim back some of their economic and social rights that are now privileges extended only to party members. Where in the United States, it's the opposite. And I hate to have to pull this up again, but I'll do it every time it's relevant. Because this is really important to point out and make you understand that I'm not just pulling this out of my ass or bullshitting or, or just making some whatever rhetorical point. How do you measure how communist something is? I think there's, there's sort of two ways. And one is the basic communist maxim, from each according to their ability, to each according to their need. And if you look at how many rich assholes there are in China, not a very communist country. Not by that measure. And in the United States, we got our fair, ability, our fair share of billionaires here too. But that's actually an inconvenient side effect of Marxism that Marxists don't like to mention, that when you create a central authority, it's going to be corrupted, and you're going to end up with unjustly rich people who have basically stolen their wealth from the American people. But there's number two. There's a second way that you can actually measure, although somewhat subjectively, how communist a country is. And you can just look at the ten planks of the Communist Manifesto. And this is laissezfaire-republic.com slash tenplanks.html. And I have referenced this website multiple times on the show. And in social media, I mean, I just, you want to argue with people on Twitter. We live in a free country. We have a capitalist system. Oh, really? Ask them, first of all, how many planks are there in the Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx? They probably won't be able to answer that question. But the follow-up question is the important one in order to measure how communist is the United States. How many of the ten blanks of the Communist Manifesto are in effect by the United States federal government? Number one, abolition of private property and land and application of all rents of land to public purposes. Sort of needs to be translated from the political speak of Karl Heinrich Marx from 1848. But uh, we have eminent domain. We have property taxes. We have the government claiming to own 50% of the land west of the Mississippi. And we haven't abolished the concept of private property, but we've turned it into a pretty thin illusion. You think you own your house? Well, odds are the bank owns it. You think you own your land, even for me, where I pay for it all cash up front? Well, if I don't pay my property taxes or fill out the right forms to get out of them, yeah, they come and take my property. Two, a heavy graduated, a heavy progressive or graduated income tax, pretty self-explanatory, we got that. Three, abolition of all rights of inheritance. We're kind of partial on that with the death tax. 
Four, confiscation of the property of all emigrants and rebels. Oh, yeah, we've got that. Can't leave this country even with uh, with more than $10,000. You've got to convert to Bitcoin, then send it out, then go get it, right? You're not allowed to leave. When it comes down to it, if you, if you have money, look, look into this. You're not allowed to leave America or renounce your citizenship without giving the government a big chunk of that money. Five, centralization of credit in the hands of the state by means of a national bank with state capital and an exclusive monopoly. Well, here in the United States, we have the monopoly on creating legal tender money through the Federal Reserve System, that fiat currency. Now, is it control, full control or centralization of credit in the hands of the state? Uh, when you have a banking system backed up by the FDIC, Federal Department or Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, and you have the violence of the federal government forcing the Federal Reserve System on everyone and through that fractional reserve banking that grows up around its subsidiary banks in the system, yeah, it's not unfair at all to call this centralization of credit in the hands of the state. Number six, centralization of the means of communication and transportation in the hands of the state. Well, without government, who would build the roads? Oh, yeah, we the people. When government is has centralized the means of transportation, uh, at least in this major infrastructure, yeah, that's communism. When you have the people do it or the market do it, that's freedom. We got the FCC, uh, Interstate Commerce Clause, so many other laws that uh, that back this one up. Seven, extension of factories and instruments of production owned by the state, the bringing into cultivation of wastelands and the improvement of soil generally in accordance with a common plan. Now, uh, this article says, while the U.S. does not have vast collective farms, which failed so miserably in the Soviet Union, we nevertheless do have a significant degree of government involvement in agriculture in the form of price support subsidies, acreage allotments, and land use controls. The Desert Entry Act and the Department of Agriculture, as well as the Department of Commerce and Labor, Department of Interior, the Environmental Protection Agency, Bureau of Land Management, Bureau of Reclamation, Bureau of Mines, National Park Service, and IRS control business through corporate regulations. And I'm surprised they don't point out here that, yeah, federal government owns 50% of the acreage in America west of the Mississippi. Number eight, equal obligation of all to work, establishment of industrial armies, especially for agriculture. Here we have the Social Security Administration, the Department of Labor, and the goal of 100% unemployment instead of what the goal of a free society should be, which is 100% retirement. You should have the economic capabilities, security, and freedom to make work optional, to be an entrepreneur, to be an artist. The world would be such a better place, and we've really come to that point. Then there's the Equal Rights Amendment, where women are essentially now expected to work the same as men. That's not natural. I mean, yes, it's natural for women to work, don't get me wrong. But the way that government uh, devalues women's ability to, to, to make babies by saying you should work like, like men, I won't wade through any deeper piles of shit on that subject. We'll just leave it at that for now. Nine, combination of agriculture with manufacturing industries, gradual abolition of the distinction between town and country by a more equitable distribution of the population over the country. This is something I, I would actually say is kind of wrong in the United States. It doesn't apply to the United States. Um, so, yeah, we're still at eight out of nine points. Uh, I think there's a, there, there, there has since Karl Marx been a greater incentive by the super class to herd people into cities and to concentrate populations rather than spread them out. 
But here in the United States, we do still have a version of this. We call it the Planning Reorganization Act of 1949, uh, zoning, blah, blah, and super corporate farms, as well as, as executive orders that create the 10 regions. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's certainly plenty of government intervention in this area, even if it's not in the direction of communism. So I w- I'll give America a, a, a very small partial point for that one. Number 10, free education for all children in government schools. Abolition of children's factory labor in its present form, combination of education with industrial production, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, we got it. So you might say, Adam, well, some of these are partial. You're kind of arguing not that they're completely in effect. And that's true. And I mean, number 10, free education for all children in government schools. We are we, we get the full point on that, but uh, you know what? What are we nine out of ten effectively planks of the Communist Manifesto in effect in the United States in a meaningful way? And there's some people who will try to deny this and say, "But Adam, look at the economic freedom you have as an individual. Even under complete communism, they can't control everything. You still get to choose what clothes you wear, right? But if I was going to make you a hamburger," And instead of putting a big, juicy meat patty in it, I took out 90% of the meat and replaced that 90% with shit. And I handed you that burger and said, oh, here's your burger, enjoy. Would you even let me call it a burger, or would you call that a shit sandwich? So when you look at America, honestly, through this perspective, you go, yeah. The United States is a communist country. All right, maybe you can say partially communist. Maybe I don't think you can say partially. You have to say mostly communist. And even if you wanted to step back and analyze this not by categorical planks in the Communist Manifesto, but how much economic value is being directed by government rather than market forces creating distortions that re- release or excuse me, re- uh, result in serious reductions in quality of life for every single American. You got to say this is at least a majority communist country. Yeah, sorry. I mean, you can talk about the 10% of your burger that's not shit and pretend like it tastes good next to a pile of shit. But there's a certain dangerous denial in taking that perspective. And that's why when I cover a story like this, U.S. bans communist immigrants from ever becoming U.S. citizens. I'll believe that they mean it when they strip citizenship from every politician in Washington, D.C. who contributes to the communist policy in America. We got a comment. I'm a statist. No communists. What are we going to do about the Republicrats already here? Well, I think taking an honest perspective and identifying them as communists is actually helpful. And I, you know, even to myself at first, when I took on this line of messaging, it did sound like a little bit of sensationalism. And if I just say, America is socialist and communist and and fascist and down with America. You know, yeah, you're kind of missing the point. And it's, when you reduce it to that sound point, 
with these words that, I mean, you went to a government-run school, most Americans, you did. And you can't define the word government. And I know this from my own research, and you call it anecdotal, but I've spoken to hundreds or thousands of people when I was touring and doing man-on-the-street videos. So, all right, you support government. What is government? Can you define that term for me? Don't describe it. Define government. Oh, the people in charge. Wrong. The only legitimate definition for government is that it's a territorial monopoly on the initiation of force, which, of course, deserves a, a little bit of unpacking. You know, territorial, it claims a land where it has authority. And it claims uh, a unique monopoly within that authority for being the only people allowed to use violence or coercion against peaceful people, right? If, if I go up to you and, and, and put a gun to your head and say, give me half your income, uh, I'm, I, I go to jail. If I'm an IRS agent and through paperwork using cops to point the guns at you to do essentially the same thing, they get a promotion and a paycheck. And so these three terms, socialist, communist, I'm going I'm to go ahead and pull these up for the benefit of my audience today, because we haven't done this yet. I was at socialism, communism, and fascism. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually give you these definitions and show you that I'm not twisting words or being sensationalistic, I'm trying to get America to face reality. And part of this reality first is admitting how much we've been lied to and misled. We don't have a two-party system in this country, except in some functional ways. It's an illusion. We have an illusion of a two-party system that covers up the fact that we really have a one-party system. It's the American Socialist Party. And you can choose between red-flavored socialism and blue-flavored socialism. The definition of socialism, according to Google, a political and economic theory of social organization which advocates that the means of production, distribution, and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community as a whole. Now, you can argue that you could start your own business, uh, that you could distribute and exchange without government interference, but except for secret, off-the-record exchanges, pretty much every economic exchange in the United States is at least in some way regulated by government, which here pretends to represent the community as a whole. But that's, yeah, you'd call that pretty soft socialism if you just go, well, everything's regulated, but it's all sort of uh, common sense regulation. None of the corporate favoring regulation or bank favoring regulation that you have in the United States. But means of production, distribution, and exchange owned by the community as a whole. Who owns the roads? Who owns the military? Who owns corporations? Government-licensed entities, right? To own something really means to control it and to have that control respected by the people around you, by society. And so we generally accept that government owns all of these things. And when it comes to what is what are the means of production? And this is, again, defining capitalism properly. 
Capitalism is an economic system based on ownership of the means of production. The ultimate means of production is you, the individual human mind. And if your self-ownership isn't respected, there's no capitalism. If we have a government that acts like it owns us, I mean, just the drug war. The government says, we're going to decide what's okay to put in your own body, not you. Well, guess what? At that point, your self-ownership is not being respected. All right, can you get that? There's, there's a comment, Mercedes. Do you want me to read that on the air? I'm a status. I love trolling the Republicans with Das Capital uh, when they argue we need regulation industry. Every argument they use against it is covered in Marx's books. Marx's book, yeah. Uh, I don't think that's Dad Capital. I think that's an autocorrect. Das Kapital uh, or Mein Kampf. But yeah, all of the, and, and this is again really important to point out that. Republicans and even conservatives. First of all, the definition of conservative has become pretty meaningless, right? Conservative is sort of like this vague general body of thought, but there is a definition which means a political philosophy intended to conserve existing social institutions. Well, if existing social institutions are socialist, then to be a conservative is also a socialist in your country. Yeah. So if you're an American and you call yourself a conservative, you're really saying that you're a socialist, communist, fascist. I'm a state. Socialism is a transitional stage of communism, as Marx described it. And that's an interesting point, but you heard me do the ten planks, right? We already have all ten planks of the Communist Manifesto, at least partially in effect in the United States. So communism, aside from the planks, the definition is a political theory derived from Karl Marx advocating class war and leading to a society in which all property is publicly owned and each person works in a spade according to their abilities and needs. So I will admit that your shit sandwich still has some tomatoes and onions and maybe a little bit of lettuce and a bun, and, you know, the shit, you know, well, only on the bottom bun does the shit actually get into the bread. But, you know, it, we're, it, it's not like the entire sandwich is made of shit yet. Uh, it's not that all property is publicly owned, although there is essentially a government claim to all property through eminent domain in this country. So, you know, it, it, it's a little bit subjective, but, you know, I, I'd say that we're we're – at the very least, most of the way there. In fact, the parts of non-communism are the elements in America of, of governance and society that are not communism are left as excuses to say, oh, we're not communists. Look, you can still have the American dream and bootstrap and become a billionaire. Yeah, you can become a billionaire if government lets you and wants you to have that kind of money. So, the last term. Can I make this stretch? Can I get you to see what I see that technically, to, to apply this term, that technically America is a fascist country? Well, we're going to look at the dec dif dictionary definition, uh, but we're also going to look at one of fascism's most prominent historical proponents, Mussolini. 
Now, the definition from Google via Wikipedia. Well, see, let's go to, um, let's go to Merriam-Webster. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe more clear definition. I really don't like it when people don't know what definitions are or act like it when they don't know a definition and they just try to substitute a description for a definition. And this isn't just some linguistic pet peeve of mine. I see this continuously in modern American politics and even just covering the news. So fascism by Merriam-Webster is defined as a political philosophy movement or regime, such as that of the fascisti, that exalts nation and often race above the individual, and that stands for a centralized autocratic government headed by a dictatorial leader, severe economic and social regimentation, and forcible suppression of opposition. Now, I will tell you, I will give you that, that one thing that, that we do pretty well in America is at least pretend to live up to an anti-racist ideal, right? At least sort of codified in government. Uh, we don't glorify racism except in, you know, dog whistles that we're a white Christian country. Now, I, I, I got to say, you know, good for America. At least that part of Americanism was not perverted, like the whole freedom thing being turned into militarism and central banking. And if you're black, you're only worth three-fifths of a person. Well, I guess there was a race settlement there. So, but a regime that exalts nation. Oh, yeah. Certainly a nationalist country here. Above the individual. Oh, yeah. How do you think they convinced me to sign up to die for politicians as a U.S. Marine? And even if you didn't fall for it, the vast majority of Americans accept that if you die in combat, you're not, as you are in truth, serving bankers and politicians and war profiteers, uh, but that you're somehow dying to serve the nation. And so the nation is exalted above the individual. Stands for central autocratic government. Maybe before COVID, uh, the coronavirus turning everybody into Karens, you could kind of make the case that our federal government is not autocratic. But there's no way around it. Certainly not now. You, in this day and age, there's no way denying that we have a centralized autocratic government Headed by a dictatorial leader. Now, when you look at the evolution of government historically and the shift away from monarchies, and you examine what really is a monarchy as a form of government, you say rule by the monarch. That's not really accurate so much as symbolic. In every major monarchy in human history, it's really been an oligarchy. No individual sovereign king or queen has been able to single-handedly run a government or a country or an economy without an oligarchy backing them up. Financiers, political operatives, consultants, but a cadre of people around them who help wield that power, who would better be described functionally 
as an as an oligarchy rather than a monarchy. So a monarchy is really just an oligarchy with a, a symbolic figurehead, right? I mean, look at Caesar. You disobey the oligarchy, even as king, emperor for life. What happens? They fucking kill you. Wait, did I need to go far that go that far back? Oh yeah, JFK. Okay. So, would I say that America is headed by a dictatorial leader, and sort of try to give Trump credit for being that dictatorial leader? Nah. But we have a dictatorial leader in the form of the oligarchy that runs America. Severe economic and social regimentation. Now, you might say, well, social regimentation, you have to define broadly to really apply that to America. Pre-Karenavirus, but post-Karena, nope. Severe economic regimentation, oh, yeah, we've had that from the beginning. You're going to pay your taxes on time. You're going to fill out your forms. You're going to go to your 9 to 5. You're going to work for regulated industries, big businesses that are approved by government. Oh, yeah. Now, for me, as, an, as, a, as a creative, you know, as an activist, author, media producer, I get to have a unique perspective and say that I've kind of escaped this. But again, you look at the economic lives, jobs of most Americans, severe economic regimentation might be putting it mildly. The last thing, forcible suppression of opposition. Chelsea Manning, Ed Snowden, Julian Assange, everybody that was ever locked up by false accusations through the FBI's COINTELPRO program as activists, all the assassinations by cop, not to mention current censorship, which is rampant. It's uh, part of the Karen culture, cancel culture, where if I don't like something, I'm not just going to accept that I don't like it and other people who like it, might watch it or see it or whatever, or read it. People still read, you know. Uh, there is a government suppression uh, of opposition directly and through corporatism as we experience in social media and uh, on YouTube in particular. You don't believe me, there's a reason CJ calls me the most sense or most shadow banned Man, uh, most shadow banned channel on YouTube, and you'll get how many subscribers we have versus how many views we get, and how much we get ripped off on compensation, even for the views that we do get. You go, yeah. Some of the suppression of opposition in the United States is by deception, by fraud. When YouTube says, oh, yes, we have a fair, open platform, and follow our community guidelines, which are subjective, meaningless, and give us an excuse to censor anything we don't like. If you follow our community guidelines, anybody can can post content on YouTube. And if you follow them, if you subscribe to their channel and you come to our homepage, we'll show you what you subscribe to. You'll have a feed. And, and if you set up notifications for a particular YouTube channel, then, yeah, we will uh, we'll, we'll send you an alert. Unless we don't like that channel's content. And that's a form of suppression of the opposition. If you say, well, Adam, that's a private company. Yes, you can make that case. However, the current corporate reality in the United States 
is that that company would not exist as is without the intellectual property racket and corporatism protecting it from competition and all the other corporatist policies that lead to conglomerization, that is, companies combining because big ones buy out small ones like Facebook bought uh, Instagram and WhatsApp. So when the force isn't there directly, it's pretty well hidden. But you got to ask yourself, you know, where is the gun in the room? If I do what I need to do to challenge this, where do I get stopped? Well, go ahead. Try to start another business based on Facebook's model and say, we're going to be like Facebook, but without the manipulation. They might not put a gun to your head, but if you persist after so many cease and desist letters, eventually you will be forcibly stopped. And so we have that in the United States. And I know this has been a bit of a long segment to get into this one news story. But I, I have to say, I am, I am genuinely offended, and I know being offended is fucking bullshit, but I'm offended not that they're doing this, but that they are so twisting the language as to be able to get the average American to accept living in a fascist, communist, socialist country and, and believe politicians when they say essentially, well, no, it's, it's not fascism, it's not communism, it's, it's not socialism when we do it. I think it's worth taking time to, to help break America out of this spell. More so than any of the other of the news today, apparently, since we are over time. <coughs> Excuse me. I was on such a roll with that rant, I didn't want to stop. But uh, let's get back to the producer's chat here. Uh, we've got, but look at this, blind justice scroll running across the bottom of the screen. You would think this was a professional media production or something. You would think we were actually getting paid to do this, but we're not. We're all volunteers at this point, myself included. Um, but our core team, um, I guess, <clears throat> yeah, it's Mercedes now, too. Yeah. There's five of us, and it's not just a bunch of dudes. But we've got... Mercedes Damrotowski, at very least, as our debate coordinator and helping out with a lot of other roles. Come and filling in today for comment, Jim Freedom, who would still be coming to us from Phoenix, unfortunately. Executive, oh, sorry, we'll save, save him for less. Our guest, Booker, who is still also booking me for guests as my press secretary. As a volunteer, Marcus Pulis out of Indiana and our intrepid producer from Meth Dakota, CJ, running the show from behind the scenes today. It's an awesome team of volunteers who are happy to volunteer because we know that what we are doing is beautiful and righteous and spreading an empowering message that makes the world a better place. Uh, but we also do hope that eventually we're not going to have to keep taking breaks to go make real money. We'd like to make this sustainable, and we need your help. Uh, as much as I'm a huge tech optimist, it means nothing without deliberate, conscientious use. And so please help support the show, fight the censorship, fight the disadvantages in the uphill fight, uphill battle that we've got with ye old corporate mainstream media. So, you know, stop buying crap you don't need with money you don't have because you saw an ad on TV. And instead, send us $10 a month through Patreon. Join the Producers Club there, patreon.com slash Adam vs. The Man, or just go AdamVsTheMan.com where you can also find the store. 
and get a cool bucket hat like mine. You get all sorts of other cool Adam versus the man freedom. This thing feels uncentered in front. I'm I'm a, I'm a geek about symmetry. I see it on camera. It's like, oh, it's got to be right there. Now it looks good. You can get the mugs. You can get cigars at CigarFederation.com with our promo code ADAM10, all caps, A-D-A-M-1-0, to get 10% off every order. And then you can join me Fridays for Sunsets and Cigars. The last two times we did that have been a lot of fun. And, you know, stripping down all of the production is just me live on YouTube, answering questions, reading comments, our own little casual AMA. And uh, as we get built out, though, I, I will be building in uh, to the Cigars and Sunsets uh, a way to take callers as well. So stay tuned for that. But, you know, I stay up on comments. I'm, I'm uh, pretty on top of things. And that's why we ended up talking about the torture story for half an hour last time and really getting into it into a uh, kind of historical context that I didn't put together in a while. Actually, it was a really fun experience for me Friday talking about Iraq and my torture experience. Uh, to be fair, I should call it torturing experience. Uh, I hate when people call me an Iraqi veteran. No, 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 no. I'm an American veteran of the Iraq War. Most of the Iraqi veterans are dead. Yeah. Um, but I hadn't told the whole story. I mean, to answer the question, how did you end up in Iraq torturing people? And what would have happened if you had disobeyed orders? And, and I answer those questions as uh, thoroughly as, as I possibly could. Uh, and gave the full historical context. That video is up on YouTube, on, on youtube.com slash Adam Kokish on Friday if you want to check it out. But yeah, join me for this ritual of ending the week with sunsets and uh, cigars and sunsets. Um, although, when I'm doing it, it's cigar and sunset, which doesn't have the same ring to it. But hey, this Friday for cigars and sunsets, Peter Yapel will be joining us. So, uh, let's see, we had Evan her back. I got a lot of notes in the Producers Club. Um, yeah, so, hey, I don't know if this was about Lynn or uh, or Mercedes. Offer tomorrow. No, you know, when, when someone says they're having difficulties, let's, I, I, CJ, just as a general policy, this is part of the texture of doing a show like this in the modern era of the, the communist American Internet. People have technical difficulties. Unless there's a, a reason that is extremely timely, that it's critical for someone to get on the show the day they're scheduled, if they're having difficulties that aren't solved in five minutes, reschedule. Yeah. Let them relax and come into the show primed to, to entertain and inform our audience to their full capabilities. I, I just, I don't like, for like, oh, they're having technical difficulties. Oh, they're still having technical difficulties. Oh, hold on, it's almost fixed. Oh, they're still having technical difficulties. It's not a big deal. Trust me. I got plenty of extra content in here. And we've always got a few extra news show, news stories pulled up if we lose a guest. Not a big deal for me to, to carry the show talking about news, especially on a beautiful Tuesday like today when we have Mercedes 
covering for Common Gym Freedom. So let's get Mercedes up on stage, check in with our comments, with our audience. Hello. Hey, how you Hi. doing, dear? Nice to see you. Yeah, it's nice to see you. Um, yeah, so our comments were right along with us um, until about the end, and then it went from talking about fascism to hippies to religion. Um, so the comment section is, um, a, let's see which one was, which started it. Well, feel free to put up comments yeah, that are going to piss me off. Because that, that's usually thing, more entertaining. Yeah, the only thing I would do with violence are to socio, or scorpions and any creatures that make this delicious New York strip steaks in those two cases. Violence and <laughs> like, that's what I mean is like the comments are just kind of like that and, and trying to define death. Let let me give something to ponder, people to ponder about vegetarianism slash veganism. And uh, I consider myself a consumer choice vegan. Like like any good libertarian, I had to create my own word just for myself. (laughs) Being a consumer choice vegan is like being a vegan, except that you don't have to be a dick about it. Right? It's kind of nice. So for me, I have no problem consuming animal products, right? If you're cooking for me and if I don't eat it, it's going to go leftovers or go to the dogs or to waste or whatever, I'll eat it. I mean, the only thing worse than killing an animal and eating it is killing an animal and letting its body go to waste. See, and this comment I know that doesn't pertain to this specifically, but I wouldn't kill because I don't want to decide for someone else when they should die. Veganism. Yeah, so so one of the premises of me being, being... vegan is that I'm not a speciesist when it, excuse me, when it comes to applying the non-aggression principle. And I ask a lot of, a lot of libertarians, this little thought exercise. If an alien landed on earth and was just like, Hey, what's up y'all just visiting. I'm friendly here to check things out. Would you say that that alien is entitled to the same rights that we enjoy as humans? And that you would generally extend moral considerations and self-ownership to that alien? And most most libertarians say, yeah, absolutely, of course. And then you go, why? Uh, and, you, and, and the answer has to be something better than because they have human genetics. It's that you're an independent consciousness in your own physical body. And so I would say in that sense, animals own themselves too. And I'm not squeamish about it. Like, we have rabbit out here. We have tons of rabbit here in Gardenia. And that's my backup survival plan in an emergency. I mean, if it's me or them, I'm going to eat me some rabbit. But here's the important moral implication. Is that and I'll, I'll give people the historical argument that at some point in human history, before we got to modern commerce and agriculture, you might have needed to kill animals in order for humans to have the brain explosion and evolve and to have a complete nutritionally balanced diet. You needed meat. You needed that that dense, uh, not protein. I mean, it's funny. Someone said, someone once asked me when I told them this, they're like, where do you get your protein? Have you seen how much muscle a grass-eating horse has? Human bodies are just as capable of synthesizing muscle from non-meat food sources. In fact, in some ways, more so. Get over your stupid mythologies of nutrition that you were taught based on the government 
food pyramid in elementary school. Fuck that. No, it's all bullshit. And really, why is the base of the pyramid grains? Gee, corn, Iowa, the grain and cereal industry, processed foods, no shit. Actually, it's grain because it provides the source of energy so that workers can work longer. Not true. Um, The simple carbs of uh, of grains that they're promoting through the food pyramid give you a an artificial rush and, and a ma- metabolic imbalance that lower your overall productivity over an extended period. You can eat a sugary breakfast and feel better for the next few hours, maybe even an eight-hour shift, but for your overall metabolism and for the long-term effect, it's going to lower your energy level. True. So, but anyway, all right, all right, we'll have another... We'll have another uh, uh, nutritional, what, where was I going with this? There was something more oh, about being vegan, right? So once, once we got past that historical state in which you didn't really have a choice, it's either be a gatherer and be malnourished or be a hunter gatherer and be well nourished, then yeah, fucking kill animals. You're doing it for your own survival. But, Certainly, in every developed country today, where you as an individual have access to canned foods, to grocery stores, to a complete nutritional profile without meat, and in many ways better food, by the way, unpaid promotion, check out the Impossible Whopper at Burger King, it's fucking amazing. Um, But we are already, as a species, on the verge technologically of the point at which we can make synthetic meat that tastes as good or better than the real thing. But even if we weren't there, just at the point where you had reliable access to a varied vegetarian or vegan diet that allowed you to have a complete nutritional profile, all your amino acids and micronutrients, then when you choose to eat meat... You're not doing so for survival, and you're not doing it for your health. You're doing it for mouth pleasure. You are either killing or paying someone else to kill an animal for your pleasure. What do we call people who kill animals for pleasure? Sadistic fucks, usually, among other colorful words. And yet, when it comes to dietary choices like this, because of tradition, social momentum, lack of education about diets in general and, and just basic nutrition shit, that they really should be teaching a lot more of in health classes and, and, I mean, I hate to say in government schools, but as long as that's the dominant education paradigm, they should be teaching more physical fitness and nutrition basics. Um, but just because of those factors, we're still where, we're still at this point where eating meat is the dominant dietary paradigm and as a consumer choice vegan and i'm casual i'm totally casual about it i'm not even strict uh when i'm traveling i'm vegetarian uh here at the garden uh we plan to have chickens but i would say that i have a symbiotic voluntary relationship with chickens that are free range and are able to leave if they feel like it and they choose to come home to the coop that i've built for them every night and and abandon eggs. So I'm able to get animal protein without the cruelty. The vegan society definition of veganism is something like a practical lifestyle based on minimizing your contribution 
to the cruelty and suffering of animals. Even by the vegan society definition, it's not a hard line. And a lot of people take the definition, very simplified, a vegetarian eats animal products but not meat. A vegan eats no animal products. Hey, I'm a vegan. I'll eat roadkill if it looks clean. You know, like it's already dead. Is this going to rot on the side of the road? Why? Not? I'm, I'm kidding. I don't. I don't eat roadkill. But it would meet that moral criteria for me that I apply to conscious consumerism. And even if you're not ready to make this little, and it's, it's not a hard switch. It's not a big deal. Um, but if you're not ready to make this leap, I hope that as a libertarian, you'll consider the same implications for your lifestyle choices in being more agorist or agorist or just, a, I, I, I like the more generic term, conscientious consumer and engager, conscientious member of your community and participant in the economy. Don't pick a job where they're going to pay you to do evil shit. Don't buy stuff from a company that's going to use those profits to do evil shit. Don't consume media paid for by sponsors who are doing evil shit. You're not violating the non-aggression principle by not doing that, but you are aiding and abetting other people violating the non-aggression principle when you fail as a conscious consumer. And again, I don't pretend to be perfect, but I do my best to consciously embrace these guidelines in my own life. Does all that make sense, Mercedes? Sorry, the baby was crying while you were talking, so I had to meet myself. Yeah, it does. And honestly, I am... Um, the older I get, the less meat I uh, consume. My husband's a hunter. I don't go hunting. I can't well, do it. I can't. Um, but I also have learned about the sunshine diet, which uh, you, a, a Swiss woman uh, back in, I believe, the 60s uh, was vegan or uh, vegetarian vegan and decided that she couldn't eat plants at all and then decided to try to live off of the sun and vitamins and she died. So don't do that because there is one step further than veganism. There, there, but I do, I, I understand it. Um, and my friends, yeah, my friends, I have a lot of vegan friends. I think it's a great thing. It's sustainable. Humans aren't meant to eat as much meat as we eat. And mm -hmm. I like a good steak. I'm Nebraskan. And uh, you got to be careful. You almost sounded like you were advocating for PETA there, Adam. <laughs> so, yeah, wow. and in the, in the comment sections, they um, – uh, Craig uh, said that he, vegetarianism is not for everyone, but he does feel better when he's on this diet. Um, yeah, so there, there, well, hold on a second about that, Craig. Um, vegetarian here, not for everyone I know. I totally disagree with that, and I'll tell you why real specifically from the nutritional perspective. Um, if you have a physical comfort issue or medical issue that is alleviated by eating meat or consuming animal products, or you really need that for whatever reason, and it's extremely rare, way too many people use this as an excuse than should. But uh, because most people do feel better on a more plant-based diet. Uh, but um, 
if you can eat eggs, you can eat eggs. And you can cook eggs a thousand different ways, and you can make eggs taste like anything. You can reprocess them. You can fry them, compact them, grill them. All, you can do whatever you want with an egg and still get complete animal protein without killing an animal, without creating any cruelty or exploit. I mean, and, and again, I, like, I used to say vegan-ish, like to, to, to describe my sort of unique, loose standards, because having chickens here, uh, you could call it exploitive, and I'm not going to argue with you on that. So, okay, I'm not meeting no cruelty or exploitation, but I think still that it's a, it's a positive, humane, cooperative, symbiotic relationship that, that you have when you have backyard chickens, usually, or, or homestead chickens. But I'm Mercedes, I, 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 huh? I'm fighting for homestead chickens in my own city as we speak. Yeah, so I, I did want to say one other thing about hunting, like how hunting fits into this. Because I mentioned that I would hunt for survival if it was actual survival, you know. Uh, and my ba- one of one of my backup survival plans here in Gardenia is to, to shoot and, and eat rabbit. And, and uh, you have to be careful with that because you can get protein poisoning from eating too many rabbits. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, we've we don't worry. Don't worry. we've we've done it before out here. Uh, our friend Chance from Florida or from Flagstaff actually came out and, and shot a rabbit, and uh, we made stew. Oh, By the way, it had these yeah. gross worms in it, but it was they, they were under skin worms, not oh. like in not in the meat. Like bot so, you, want, you want to hear, huh? Kind of like bot flies. I don't know that's what, what they were, but uh, it's kind of a freaky little story, super quick. So we shot the rabbit, and, and as he was skinning it, found that there were worms in between the skin and the meat. And the worm... One of the big one was like, you know, a little bigger than than my one, the last knuckle of my pinky finger, not that big, right? But it's in a rabbit this big, and it's in its neck, crawling around. And it would, it, and it, it's, you know, the, uh, you know, like the Wrath of Khan, where they put that bug in his ear. Yeah. It looked like that, like <clears throat> segmented and pulsing. Said that it was in its neck. This would be the equivalent size for a human of having like. Something the size of three, <clears throat> three golf balls. That reminds me of um, like start, crawling around your neck. Starting. I say we, I say we put that thing out of its misery, and it was delicious. Yeah. But I wouldn't. What? All right, go ahead. Yeah, so I, I'm not against killing universally. I'm I'm all for killing in self defense if necessary, and I'm all for killing to survive, and I'm even for killing if you need to, to practice survival tools. And so to what you said about hunting, you're taking one life and and using all the meat mm-hmm. and being a lot cleaner and conscientious about it. So on sort of my scale of conscientious consumerism, hunting your own meat is pretty close to being a consumer choice vegan. And, and I, I, support, I support people hunting in a conscientious, meaningful way uh, for food, when they, you know, you go out for one hunting season, you end up with a freezer full of meat for the for most of the year. I think that's that's not ideal, but that's a, still a great step forward in conscientiousness. What was that comment you had there? Oh, which one? The, the last one I just put up? It, made yeah, me it says, this is like the cafe discussion near the end of Pulp Fiction. Uh-huh. All right. Well, speaking of which, I do think it's time to, uh, to wrap this up. Um, I, I hope my rant on socialism 
fascism and communism and showing that America's all of these things was helpful. By the way, you guys got to slow down in the producers club chat during the show because I go, oh shit, I got 20 messages I got to read here. No, 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 no. No. Take him to take him to one of the other groups. And the show's live. Producers Club is stuff that Adam needs to see on air. All right, now that we're re- wow, we went, we started late. We're way over time. We are. Have we, done, have we done all our promos? Join the Producers Club. Adam versus the Man dot com. Buy some merch. Buy some cigars. We covered that. Mm-hmm. Um, as I mentioned yesterday, yesterday, right? I'm, I'm I'm sort of hiring for five different positions right now. Uh, if you're interested in, in working on the Gardenia Sovereignty Project, on Adam versus the Man, on Big Igloo Geodesics, um, on the Arizona Freedom Team, and what was the other one? Something else here. Uh, being the caretaker yeah. here in Gardenia. I think that that's the big one. If you're interested in any of those positions, please send me an email, uh, adam at thefreedomline.com. And uh, if you can't get me there, you can I, – I do check my Twitter messages, at Adam Kokesh. So um, what do we – do we have pressing good news today? I didn't even look at this one in advance. I have no idea. All right, we're late. Forget the good news. I think we've said enough beautiful, wonderful, good news things. Mercedes, anything you got to say to sign off? Um, just that we need a change and that we have uh, 27 days, 11 hours, 18 minutes, 12 seconds until we vote officially, officially, like the voting deadline, um, t- because your voice matters. You are the power, as Comedy Central said, vote for your lives. Vote yeah. or die, motherfucker. Vote or die. And remember, we're trying to create equality and liberty for everyone so we can have the good life for all y'all. Beautiful. All right. With that being said, peace and love, y'all. Choose happiness and be excellent to each other.